Good morning, Mosaic. Hope everybody's doing good this morning. My name is Betsy Miller. Um, I've been attending Mosaic for about five, six years. And um, let's see, Jeff is my husband. He's preached here a few times. Um, I uh, work part-time teaching aerobics, and I have two kids, uh, Severin and Eleanor. They're six and three. No, four. Um, they're exhausting. So I'm the kind of mom who has just given up on cleaning the house when people come over. Like, if we're having a party, yes, I'll clean up. But, like, it's a play date or the babysitter, you're just going to have to deal with my real life. Um, you know, there's just clutter everywhere. There is shredded cheese in the carpet. Um, and if my husband hasn't been around for like half an hour, then there's just fruit snack wrappers all over the floor because I don't even see them anymore. But definitely the most embarrassing thing in our house is the couch. Um, we lived with Jeff's parents for a while um, with our cat, and the cat just destroyed the couch. And so when we moved out, they gave us the couch which I really recommend this method for getting furniture from your parents, and we will rent you our cat if you like. Um, but it's, our cat continued to destroy it, you know, as we moved out into our new apartment, and uh, then our kids came along, they spit up on it, they ate off it, they use it as a trampoline, and they sleep on it, and as of last night, they give it lice. Uh, I know, I know, it's awful. But honestly, oh, <laughs> that was not on purpose. <laughs> Don't give me a hug after the service. <laughs> um, you know, if we gave this couch, if we offered it to five college guys who lived off ramen and lived in a house together, they would not take it. Um, you live with it, you kind of forget what an eyesore it is, and we could totally replace it, okay? Don't offer us your couch. We could replace it with something better, possibly from the dump, um, but we haven't for two reasons. Uh, first of all, we're planning to buy a house. Um, we've been planning to buy a house for four years, and uh, still don't have a house. Uh, and we figured, you know, we'll throw it out when we move, and then we'll buy a couch, and the furniture people will move it into our new house. And then the other reason is the cat's just going to destroy the new couch, so why don't we just stick with the pre-destroyed couch? Um, and so when company comes over, we just throw a few sheets on it, and, but we know the truth. Um, and now so do you. So if you come over, we're not going to bother with the sheets, guys. When I think about what it means to share our faith, I feel like the methods that I learned and that have been passed down to me are kind of like this nasty couch. You know, the metaphor about the cross that you're supposed to share with an unbeliever over lunch uh, or the pre-canned questions that you're supposed to ask the poor person next to you on the airplane. Um, it's just kind of inauthentic, kind of nasty. Um, and it's really easy to poke fun at the Christians doing a survey on the street corner um, or showing a video about hell to scare people into following Jesus. Um, but it's easy to look at those things and make fun of them. But at some point... You, stop to, you have to stop poking fun at the couch and replace the thing. This month, Kurt and Jeff and I have been talking about what the gospel is and what does it mean to invite people to follow Jesus. And I started by telling my own story about learning a very simple and formulaic 
uh, version of the gospel or good news of Jesus and the kind of guilt-ridden ways that I learned to share that, uh, most of which, not all, but most of which were kind of bad. And then Kurt talked to us about what the gospel really is, uh, which is God working the Israelite people and ultimately in the whole world uh, to bring us to God. And why we would, um, then Jeff talked about why we would share this gospel, um, that we want to help people experience life to the fullest. And he told us about um, how sin, we tend to think of it as a list of things we should or should not do, but really it's more about things that bring death into the world. And today what I want to attempt to communicate is how do we communicate that story of Jesus working in the world and invite people to join in on the kingdom of God? When we ditch these ineffective, inauthentic methods of sharing our faith, what do we replace them with? How do we move from a culture where sharing our faith was getting people to assent to a certain uh, number of ideas uh, to a culture where we're inviting people into a wild and complicated story of God through Jesus building his kingdom among us? Some of you guys here might have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, Maybe you grew up in a household where Sharing Jesus, talking to unbelievers about Jesus just wasn't something that um, was, you were encouraged to do, and, and that's fine, um, or maybe you grew up in a totally irreligious household. And so what I invite you to do today is watch us trying to figure out a better way of doing something that hasn't worked for a long time. Um, just show, we're just um, demonstrating what it's like to try to make something better. I mean, we do this all the time, right? We do this in our work. We do this in parenting. uh, We do this in healthy conflict. We do this in politics, like when it works occasionally. (laughs) Um, So that's what I'm inviting you to do if you can't relate to this at all. And then there's some of you guys who are just now noticing the rips and tears in the couch, and you need some time to grieve that, and that's okay. It's okay um, to take some time and be sad about about the couch. And then there's some of you that are like me, who have been seeing the rips and tears for a long time, and, you know, the couch is broken and it smells like urine because that one kid wet his pants on it. That didn't happen. Um, and so you're ready with me to throw that couch out, you know, So let's do it. Let's not bother with the stairs. Let's take it out on the deck and throw it off and just destroy the thing. Let's get a new couch. The way we've talked about evangelism in the past has actually been pretty duplicitous. You know, we might encourage people to fill out a survey about their beliefs, but really we're just wanting to change their beliefs. And we might say, hey, come to lunch with me. I want to get to know you. But really all we want is to talk to them about Jesus. We can't do that anymore. You know, it's, it's just like a gross, nasty couch. It has caused us to live inauthentic lives. You might remember, um, if you're my age, you might remember people talking about this concept of ruining your witness. Um, ruining your witness basically meant letting someone see you sin who wasn't a Christian. Um, you might ruin your witness by uh, sleeping with your boyfriend or getting drunk or even being in a bar and not even drinking. Basically, anything that people might see and suspect that you might be a sinner. Um, And so you weren't supposed to let anybody see you sin. So good luck with that. But is that the gospel that God made us to act perfectly? No, it's not. The problem with past evangelism was its lack of authenticity. 
Now, it would sound really weird for me to say a new strategy for evangelism is to be authentic because authenticity and strategy don't belong in the same sentence. Um, it sounds like it could be another bait and switch. So what I'm going to suggest is something that's totally wild and crazy. Don't befriend people to share the gospel with them. Befriend, befriend people because you actually like them. <laughs> Okay? Um, I have people in my life who are not followers of Jesus that I just genuinely love, and I love hanging out with them, and I want to get to know them, and they're fascinating people, and I want to hear their stories. And I also have people who are not Christians in my life that I just don't feel compelled to get to know. And I, I don't really worry about that, and I think that's okay, because um, we only have a limited amount of time. And so with the people that I like and I enjoy spending time with, I try to be just honest about all aspects of my life, right? My marriage, my family, my mental health, my job, and also my faith. And I know that seems risky, but I've actually found when it, you have a relationship with someone and you talk about your personal faith in Jesus, they don't really shut down, you know, because they trust you. And you're not doing it to convert them. You're doing it because you're sharing life with them. And I found when I asked them about their beliefs, they're open to talking about it as well because people want to share their story. I think an important part of being authentic is seeking to be the same person no matter who you're around. So that means when you're around non-Christian friends, um, when, you're, when you're around your Christian friends, you don't say or do things that would bother your non-Christian friends, such as talking about them like they're a project or revealing things about them that they would not want other people to know. And when you're around your non-Christian friends, you know, don't do or say things that would bother your Christian friends, that you'd be embarrassed um, if they knew about them. I want to share with you guys a time when I felt incredibly inauthentic. Um, when I first came to Christ, the thing that was hardest for me to accept was not the idea of the Trinity or that Jesus was God, it was the idea that it was bad to be gay. I grew up in a very liberal household, and so the idea that it could be bad to be gay was as crazy to me as the idea that it could be bad to be female or bad to be black. It just seemed like um, something that you couldn't have any control over, so why would we judge someone for that? But I became a Christian, and I was shown some verses in the Bible, and I believed that in order to be a good Christian, I needed to take the Bible as literally as possible. Um, and it honestly, I would have to use the language that it went against my conscience. Um, but I was also told that your feelings are totally deceptive. So I bought in. I had a friend named Josh during college, and we were in a Bible study together. And we were friends. We weren't close. Like, we'd sit together in the cafeteria, but we didn't, you know, share our personal um, deepest secrets. And after his freshman year, Josh went to Florida to do the Disney program. Um, and he didn't come back, um, like a lot of people. I don't really understand why people would rather be in sunny Florida than sunny with a chance of snow, Nebraska. But a lot of people do that. And... Um, when he was in Florida, he came out as gay. And he came back to visit for a weekend. And like I said, we weren't super close. Um, I wanted to hang out with him, but I did not expect that, we, that that would come up at all unless he brought it up. Um, and I certainly wasn't interested in trying to change his mind. You know, I figured at that time, you know, that if 
homosexuality is a sin. It's a sin like any other sin. And, you know, God will deal with, God deals with our sins in the order that he wants to. And it's not really my job to change Josh's mind. So I wasn't planning to talk to him about any of that. And it turned out the only time Josh could hang out was to walk, um, that I could walk him to the coffee house where he was going to hang out with his friend Ryan, um, who's also gay. So we're walking along and uh, talking about Florida and nothing of significance. And we get to the coffee house, and there are these high school girls there with a video camera. And they said, hey, can we, um, we have this, we have to survey people for school. Um, could, we, could we give you this survey? So we said, yeah, fine. And they said, who do you think Jesus is? And I'm like, I think this is probably a Christian school. <laughs> and I said, I think Jesus was the son of God, and he came and died for our sins. And when we accept him into our hearts, um, he saves us um, and gives us eternal life. And Josh and Ryan agreed with that. And then she asked us some more questions like, do you think people are basically good or basically bad? Just a lot of stuff kind of along those lines. And then she said, what do you think about homosexuality? Literally the one thing I did not want to talk about, a stranger came up to us and asked us about. And my face got red, and I started sweating. And Josh and Ryan said, yeah, I think homosexuality is fine. And she turns to me, and she says, and what do you think about abortion? <sighs> I have never been so excited to talk about abortion, you guys. <laughs> Holy cow. It's really hard to be authentic and the same person with everyone you know. And it's especially hard when you're young and you don't totally know who you are. Well, the first followers of Jesus had to find ways to communicate his good news while being authentic also. Uh, let's dive into our scripture today. We're going to look at John 1, 43 through 51. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, the book of John starts by talking about the ministry of John the Baptist, who's not the same John that's writing the book. That's John the Apostle. Um, John the Baptist's job was to prepare the way for Jesus and to tell people that the Messiah was coming. And when he met Jesus, it was his job to proclaim that Jesus is God's chosen one. So some of John's disciples left him to follow Jesus, and Jesus started inviting other men along the way to follow him. And one of the many invites is Philip. Uh, the text says he simply finds Philip and says to him, follow me. So we're going to pick up the story in John here. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And then he added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So it starts out with Philip telling his friend Nathaniel what he knows. Found the guy Moses was talking about in the law, the one the prophets spoke about, 
Jesus. And then next we have Nathaniel's objection. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nazareth was this, was this uh, Roman army-occupied town filled with ways to entertain young men who were away from their families. Um, the place where they probably sold togas that says, what happens in Nazareth stays in Nazareth. Um, so Nathaniel's objection is his prejudice against the city. Now, in the old way of talking about evangelism, um, I was taught to be prepared for people's objections to the Christian faith. Um, there's this whole area of study of defending the faith called apologetics. Um, I always remember that word because I envision a smug Christian telling a non-Christian, sorry, but it's true, which is kind of how I felt about apologetics. Um, but Philip doesn't do that. What he does, he doesn't try to argue Nathaniel's point about, well, you know, there's good people in Nazareth. Um, he just says, come and see. How freeing is that, you guys? Just come and see. He doesn't try to convince Nathaniel of anything. He figures that's Jesus' job. People don't care so much if Christians are right. They care if we're good. Philip invites Nathaniel to see if Jesus is good. Come and see. And Nathaniel ultimately becomes a follower of Jesus. So why do you think Nathaniel went with Philip? Um, I'm just guessing. I'm just speculating. But I'm guessing they were friends. I'm guessing they'd built, built a foundation of trust and respect. And so Nathaniel thought, if Philip says it's interesting, maybe it is interesting. And then Jesus meets Nathaniel. And notice what he says to him. Not, you need to repent, or this is what's wrong with your theology. Um, he affirms the work that God has already done in Nathaniel. He shows us that he knew, liked, and had respect for Nathaniel. He says, here it is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And let's look at the end of the text, um, specifically the last verse. He says, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Uh, I didn't understand that at all, but Kurt gave me some insight into the meaning, and since he said it so well, I'm just going to read it verbatim uh, what he said. So almost all theologians will say that these words are referencing back to a picture of Jacob's ladder. There was a story in Genesis about a guy named Jacob who had a dream about a ladder where angels are going up and down on it from heaven to earth. And the significance to Jacob was that God was with Jacob in the midst of a very stressful time. Ladder was located at Bethel, which would later become a major worship place for the Israelites. It was a sanctuary city, um, like a temple, loco temple location for Israel. And there's a lot of temple-oriented language uh, in the book of John. The temples where heaven and earth were opened up to one another. And Jesus came and lived among us, um, or in John 1.14 it says he tabernacled among us, which is more temple kind of language. Um, it means Jesus uh, built a tent among us, just as the Israelites built a tent to create a temple in the wilderness. And Jesus lived among us, and heaven and earth were open to each other. So when Jesus talks about the angels, he's making a statement that as we come and see his life, heaven and earth are open to one another. And isn't that what the story of God is all about? Heaven making its way to earth, and especially when it feels like life is unraveling, like it was for Jacob when he was on the run. God so desires to meet us in the midst of the unraveling and allow heaven and earth to open to one another. Um, both instances of you in verse 51 are plural. Um, he's saying, uh, you, very truly I tell you, as in you all, 
Very truly, I tell y'all, y'all will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's talking to all the um, apostles in this case. Uh, the word of our pastor, thanks be to God. Okay. I had a friend um, who had a necklace uh, that was a silver peanut in the shell. And inside the shell, it said John 3.16, which is, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And the point of the, the verse in the nutshell was that's the Bible in a nutshell. Don't you guys miss late 90s Christian fashion? So good. Oh. But I think the message of Jesus cannot be reduced to one verse. You know, the Bible's pretty thick. I feel like if God could have been more succinct, maybe he would have. So I don't have a Bible verse for you guys today that you can share with your friends, and I don't have an illustration you can write on a napkin. I think all we could really offer is an invitation. Come and see. Traditional evangelism has been about trying to get people to share your worldview. You know, think like me, act like me, um, see the world the way I see it. But that's not unique to Christians. That's actually how most people process the world. If everyone were like me, we wouldn't have any problems. And I'm an Enneagram One, so I wholeheartedly believe in this. The religious people in Jesus' day also thought that that was the answer. Act and be like us and believe like us, and everything will be fine. The Pharisees, the Sadducees. Um, and so I think a new way of looking at evangelism has to move past this. Uh, we're not here to convince you of Jesus' uh, historical existence or his deity or the problem of evil or evolution or what have you. We need to invite people to just come and see. Part of the gospel is that Jesus came down and opened up heaven and earth, not just in the future, but here among us. He showed us what God is like, and we're experiencing the kingdom when we're involved in bringing life and light to the world. So how do we communicate that to others? How do we invite them to join us? I think what we're really asking is, how do we love people? Well, it's simple, guys. If you like to celebrate people, like for their birthdays, just celebrate people. If you like deep conversations, invite someone out for a beer or a coffee. Um, if you like going to concerts or volunteering or watching sports or stand-up comedy, uh, bring someone with you. I can give you my current dates. Uh, when we do this, at the very minimum, we're bringing life to others. At the very minimum, we're inviting people to have that heart connection. Um, so... We're participating in the kingdom of God authentically, just right out in the open. We're not inviting them just to come and see. We're going and showing. It's right there, out in the open. We're seeking to bring life to others. We live a story of forgiveness and liberation and invite others to join us. We invite people to come and see. Now, Last time I spoke, I talked about the idea of letting our light shine before men so that they'd see our good deeds and worship our Father in heaven. Basically, live a good life and follow Jesus, and people will want to know why and will become followers of Jesus. And I said that has happened to me once in 22 years of following Jesus. But then uh, I talked to a friend this week who said that's happened to her multiple times. Um, she's not someone that I've seen 
you know, share the gospel on a napkin or try purposely to strike up conversations about spiritual things. But she's been asked many times, you know, what's your deal? So I started to wonder, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just that I've been living a life about trying to convince people to change their minds and not focusing on authentically living the Christian life open in front of people, warts and all. People don't care if we're perfect. They care about if we're loving. They don't care if we have all the answers. They care that we're willing to be vulnerable. So as the band comes up, I have an exercise for you. Um, Like I said, I'm a fitness instructor, so I always say that exercise should be uncomfortable but not painful. So hopefully this will just be uncomfortable this week. Now, there's probably someone in your life that you talk to often, but you don't really go deep with them. Maybe it's a coworker or a family member. And so I'm encouraging you this week when that person says, how are you or what's new? You actually take the risk to be a little bit vulnerable. You know, say, my kids are driving me crazy, or I'm really worried about this test coming up, or I'm having this problem with a friend, you know, or my depression is really bothering me. You know, I know that goes against our stoic Midwestern upbringing, um, but it will be okay. (laughs) It builds trust and intimacy. Um, As for me, I am planning, pray for me, um, at open mic, comedy open mic on Monday night. Um, When someone asks me, what's new, how are you, I'm going to say, I preached at church on Sunday. (laughs) In a moment, we're going to have communion, um, which is another opportunity when Jesus invites us to come and see that he is good. And so as we take the bread, which represents Jesus's body, broken for us as a sacrifice for our sin, and we dip it in the uh, juice, which represents his blood shed for us. Let's think about who in your life would you like to see around Jesus' communion table? Um, Let's pray together. Lord, we want to communicate your message in ways that are true and able to be understood. We want to see your kingdom expand and reach our friends and family and coworkers and fellow students and those far from us and to the ends of the earth. Give us the courage and the words and the actions we need for that to happen. In Jesus' name, amen.